Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. We are on episode 61, and today we're talking about Circe by Madeline Miller. So it's been a rough couple of weeks for me here between life and being sick. I had a couple of gas leaks that needed to be fixed. And then when I came home from work the other day, I found the house totally cold and my furnace wasn't working. (laughs) Thankfully, both of those were easy fixes. Even though they weren't totally cheap, they definitely could have been a lot more expensive. So even though it's a little stressful, I guess I'm thankful that it wasn't worse. And I'm feeling a bit down because some of those frustrating things and I'm not exactly looking forward to the holidays. I usually host and this year it's just not going to be as full of a house and that kind of makes me a little sad too because I really like a lot of people around at the holidays and family that I love and I'm close to. So it's going to be a little different this year and I'm a little bit down about that. Though I should feel good in comparison to Cersei who was exiled and spent many years alone. I'm not that lonely and I do have a much better support system than she did. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. We do have more new listeners. So shout out to those of you who found the podcast. I truly hope you are enjoying it as much as I enjoy reading and sharing all of these awesome, exciting books with you. Well, for the most time, they're pretty awesome anyways. (laughs) And also uh, another reminder, this is a hobby podcast, which means I do everything myself. Any support you can give is truly appreciated. You can support me by giving me a five-star rating on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And you can give me a one-time donation through PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com, or by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. No apostrophe in the don't on either my email or on Patreon. Also, feel free to email with some book suggestions because I always love hearing about new and different books and things that people like that they think that I might enjoy as well, especially if you're a regular listener and you kind of know my tastes and what I really like and what I've been enjoying. You might have some good suggestions for me that I am totally open to. Thank you so much to those who have and do continue to support me. I really can't express how much your support has meant. And I know I've said this before, but it's the truth that this podcast has just kept me going through some really tough times and the continued support from friends, family, and listeners means just truly more than you all know. So back into the booze this week, I had to do wine again. And I usually like to switch it up a bit and go back and forth between wine and beer, sometimes a mixed drink thrown in just to kind of change things up, or if it's sometimes a mixed drink is a better fit for the book. But I could not talk about the story of Circe without pairing it with a wine. Because the most famous story of Circe involved her serving wine to Odysseus's men and turning them into pigs. And this isn't even a spoiler, so this is most what most people know about Circe. This is one of her biggest stories. And I've always been a big fan of Shiraz's for as long as I've been drinking wine. So I wanted to go with a Shiraz for this pairing. When I imagine Circe in her home serving wine, it's like a hearty red wine, which to me is what a Shiraz is. So I went back to Total Wine for this Red Knot Shiraz. The price point on this one is $16. So 
a little over my normal average, but still not too expensive. Still within, I think, what I would consider a decent price range. This Shiraz comes from McLaren Vale, Australia, and comes in at 14% ABV. I haven't had a good Shiraz for a while, and this one really hit the spot for me. It's considered a medium body wine, but for me, it felt a little more full bodied wine that was full of flavor. It was fruity, but not super sweet, and I could taste the berry, but I couldn't pinpoint that it was supposed to be raspberry. Also, raspberry with roasted coffee and almond oak. And I don't really drink coffee, but I didn't really detect the coffee notes. The dryness matched the oaky flavor, which I also felt was an excellent match for the book. For me, it was a hearty wine without being too overpowering as some Shirazes can be. The recommended pairing for this actually was a slow roasted lamb shoulder, and I did not think it could be any better than that, just considering the novel. <laughs> I could absolutely envision Circe having lamb slow cooking over her fire for a feast, and as the weather gets cooler, I would definitely have this again with my own kind of feast or a nice celebration. As far as the author, Madeline Miller, she is a teacher as well as an author. This is kind of her bio from Wikipedia, but it's also really familiar and and pretty much the same everywhere I looked. Miller was born on July 24th, 1978 in Boston and grew up in New York City in Philadelphia. After graduating from Brown University with a bachelor's and master's in classics, Miller then went to teach Latin, Greek, and Shakespeare to high school students. She also studied for a year at the University of Chicago's Committee on Social Thought, working towards a PhD, and from 2009 to 2010 at the Yale School of Drama for an MFA in Dramaturgy and Dramatic Criticism. As of May 2012, Miller lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, teaching and writing. She does have her own website, but again, like I said, it it doesn't add much information to this bio that I already got from Wikipedia. To learn a little bit more about Miller and Cersei, I would recommend the Witch Wave podcast, episode 24, where host Pam Grossman talks to Madeline Miller. This is actually what reminded me about the book and got me interested in reading it again. I had heard of it, of course, when it first came out in 2018, and it gained quite a bit of recognition then when it came out. And it was one of those books that I bought, but just didn't read it immediately that has come up a few times in my to-be-read list, and it just wasn't the right time. Kind of like I was talking about Let the Right One In It. I had it, I owned it, I knew I wanted to read it at some point, but just wasn't sure when I was going to read it. I also saw on Reddit that Madeline Miller is suffering from long COVID, so I do wish her a speedy recovery and hope she's able to get some help help and relief, even though it unfortunately sounds like it's been going on for years. And I also found an article about this, so I've linked that article to the show notes. This book definitely got a lot of hype when it first came out, and I remember hearing about it at almost every turn. And as I've said before, I don't have like a ton of friends who read a lot, so but this seemed like a book that almost everyone had heard of and everyone was talking about. So when I heard about the premise as a Greek mythology type story of a witch, I was definitely interested. I did take Greek mythology in college, and while I don't remember a ton of information from mythology, sometimes people will talk about it, or it'll come up in a book, and some of that knowledge will come back. I definitely enjoyed Greek mythology, and I loved the analyzation of it, 
but I didn't like truly love it. It wasn't really a passion of mine. I read both the Iliad and the Odyssey and I enjoyed the Iliad so much more. And I found the Odyssey to be a little bit more slow, maybe a little too arrogant surrounded Odysseus's epic journey. And Miller talks a little bit about this in the podcast with Grossman that I had mentioned before. At the time, I wasn't really able to express my thoughts about it the way she does. And even though I had a hard time putting words onto my thoughts, more so because I haven't read it in a while too, I couldn't really explain it. But Miller focuses more on her disappointment of Circe's treatment in the Odyssey and how women were treated overall in Greek mythology. Circe is billed as a feminist retelling of Circe's legend and myth. For those of you who don't know, the book is the story of Circe, daughter of Helios and Perse. She is a titan, which are the children and descendants of heaven and earth. It follows her life as a young titan to her exile on her island and her eventual aging and final years of her life. She and her siblings are thought to be the first witches. Miller is a student of Greek mythology, and it took her 10 years to write the Song of Achilles. And she said in the podcast with Grossman that Circe took seven years to write. It's very easy to see that she's done her research, even though it is a retelling. She's very accurate and tells a story that fits in line with both Homer and others who've written about Greek mythology. It just isn't a book where she takes all sorts of creative license with the story. In her conversation with Grossman, she does say it took her a long time to find Circe's voice in her writing. And reading the book, I felt like she definitely remained consistent with this voice. And in my opinion, does Circe justice with this voice that she found for her. As a feminist retelling, readers have to keep in mind that feminism is about equality. It has been bastardized by some to mean that women are better or more powerful. And it's important to remember that feminism at its heart is really about being heard and valued as equals, not as superiors. And I think Miller does an excellent job with this. Circe is not perfect, and Miller hasn't created the perfect character. Circe is a titan and not mortal, but she is relatable in mortal and human ways. She's imperfect. She learns and grows. She changes. She makes mistakes. She doesn't always learn from them. She feels hurt, jealousy, anger, and love. One of the criticisms of the book is that Miller uses the trope of Circe being, quote, not like other girls. And I actually disagreed with this criticism. Part of the argument in favor of this is that while in exile, Circe welcomes the men who have arrived at the island, but ostracizes the nymphs who have been exiled to live with her. And my interpretation of this is that Circe has grown up around the gods, titans, and nymphs, and she's never really found her place there. So she they she feels like they rejected her, so she also rejects them. The only titan she really feels a connection with seems to be her uncle Prometheus. And she's fascinated by mortals, partially because of her uncle's connection to them. So my perspective isn't that she's rejecting women in favor of men, but rather welcoming mortals due to her interest in them. At one point, she says, there is no must in the life of a mortal and notes that death is the only thing that is a must. And I think this is a reflection of that fascination and interest that she had in mortals. Slight spoiler alert, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear this, but she even ends up welcoming Odysseus's wife Penelope onto her island and forming a relationship with her. 
And while Penelope herself isn't fully mortal, she lives in the mortal world among mortals and is primarily of mortal blood. So I can see where readers would come up with the idea of the not like other girls trope, but I see this more of as a life of isolation and a woman who has to find her place in the world. Also, I wondered why this was considered a feminist retelling at first. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, why does it have to be considered a feminist retelling? Again, I sometimes think that feminism has really been bastardized so much that it can have a negative connotation. So it felt a little bit to me like a negative label. For me, Circe was a story that was incredibly relatable. And that's where the feminism comes in that I spoke of earlier. It's just a story that reflects other women's stories, lives, and experiences, and showing that as women, our stories, lives, and experiences have value as well. Miller calls this out right in the book, having Circe acknowledge that, quote, humbling women seems to me a chief pastime of poets, as there can be no story unless we crawl and weep. So it's not just feminist themes that the story tells, themes of continuing after failure, finding yourself, finding your family, your true family, not the family that you were born into, and finding your place in the world fill the pages. In the podcast with Grossman, Miller calls it a psychological story of a woman coming into her power. In addition to the emotional depth of the story, it is so rich with Greek mythology that is a combination of Miller's imagination and well-researched information. I looked up a lot of the stories that Miller wove into Circe's story, such as the story of Glaucus, uh, Scylla, the Minotaur, Odysseus, Penelope, and Helios. While the details of the stories Miller has added herself, the crux of the stories remain intact. And I find I liked this so much more than if Miller had taken more of a creative license. And I think this is something I definitely overall prefer as well. If there's a favored story or if there's a story based in fact, I preferred things stay as close to the truth as possible. It's one of the reasons I don't like fictionalized true crime stories. Like example is the new Jeffrey Dahmer story on Netflix. There's been fictionalized movies about Ted Bundy, The Crown, which is about the Royals. There is fact behind it. And I don't like that, that creative spin on what is actually the truth. It just, it feels a little unethical to me. And even stories about someone like King Arthur, I prefer that things are closer to what my expectations of the story have become, rather things that are just loosely based on the myth. If you're just going to take like a part of it, I just, I, I would prefer then it's just a whole new story and not you just use the parts of the story that you want to. And I think Miller is respectful of the commonly acknowledged myths but she fleshes out the story to give Cersei more personality and more humanity. And I mean humanity in the way that she has these emotions and feelings because she is technically considered a goddess. There were things that I liked about Miller's writings and things that I didn't. For me, the story just didn't flow well with the way that she wrote. At times, her writing felt halting and stilted, Though, at the same time, I felt her writing was in line with what she called Circe's voice. 
The story was engaging and I enjoyed reading it, but at times I really struggled with her style. It wasn't page turning excitement for me, and it was definitely a character driven story. In some ways, it kind of felt pretentious in the way that other books I've read have been accused of being, and other books that I've read and talked about on the podcast. And it's ironic because I will talk about some reviews, but I didn't ever find that in the reviews that. Uh, she wasn't pretentious in her writing, whereas I felt in comparison, she was a little pretentious in in that writing. And not in a negative way, but just in a way that I, I recognized. And a great example of this was a quote from the book that I wrote down that quote, the grudges of gods are as deathless as their flesh. (laughs) And this, to me shows both the pretentiousness and the haltiness of Miller's writing. Yes, there are some beautiful thoughts that she shares that I found that I reflected on. Cersei is looking at her son and thinking, quote, perhaps no parent can truly see their child. When we look, we only see the mirror of our own fault. And Cersei also observes in her father that he, quote, believed the world's natural order was to please him. Though I think this was a fairly common trait among the gods. Cersei's also a character who could be considered unlikable, though I found her to be relatable. And I did read some of this in the reviews that people found her to be whiny and they didn't really like her. But I found that part, again, something that I could relate with. When she falls in love for that first time, it's that passionate, consuming love that blinds us of reality. And she can be irrational and vindictive. I think Miller does an incredible job in her character development of Cersei. I personally found some hope in this as well, because Cersei does fail and make mistakes over and over again. Since she is a goddess, she lives a long time, and it takes her millennia to learn from those mistakes. I will admit, I've made mistakes that I feel like I shouldn't have made based on my age and experience, but Cersei's growth gives me hope for my own life. There are some great lessons in the book if you're looking for them. At one point, she learns that people will always reveal themselves, and she doesn't need to try to intervene with their lives. And I think this is a really good reminder. I'm a Scorpio, and Scorpios are always thought to be vindictive, but I found that people will often get what they deserve, and I don't need to even try to be vindictive. People who are miserable with themselves will often just continue to be miserable and unhappy, and to me, that's punishment enough. So I've rarely felt the need for revenge or acting to intervene as Cersei did in the book. Along with the lessons and morals, I love how Miller weaves magic and witchcraft into the book. Cersei is a pharmacist, which is a witch and someone who works with plants and herbs to create magic. Her brother tells her at one point that, quote, sorcery cannot be taught. You find it yourself or you do not. He's telling her this as she's coming into her own power, but it also takes her a long time to realize what he really means by this. Cersei finally understands that even though she and her siblings are witches, magic is something that anyone can learn and create with the right will. And I am someone who believes in magic, not Harry Potter magic, but energy magic and vibrational magic and magic that I can't even really explain because we don't really understand it yet. But I believe this magic is available to anyone who believes in it and has the will and the willingness to be open-minded and learn about it. There's so much to love in Cersei that I'm disappointed that I didn't love it more. A minor thing that bothered me was when Cersei is asked by her niece to perform a catharsis or a cleansing. And Cersei says that 
quote, it is for, was forbidden for me to question them in regards to what they had done that was so wrong that they needed the cleansing. Though it wasn't clear to me why and how she knew this. As she and her siblings are the first witches, how did this become a rule of catharsis? Was this her own intuition? Was this something she learned through trial and error? This bothered me so much that Miller was so researched and gave so much background on everything else but this. I also disliked the ending, not the actual story itself, though I know some readers disliked the story part, but I felt the ending was too rushed. Spoiler alert again and skip a few minutes ahead a few minutes on this one. I really enjoyed how Miller wrote Cersei's relationships with the men in her life. I loved how she was with Odysseus and felt like that despite Odysseus having a wife and loving his wife, he still loved Cersei and she loved him. They both knew that their time together would end and it was limited, but it felt like they truly cared for one another and they respected each other in that relationship. And I saw the love beginning with Telemachus, but once they finally acknowledged that love, Miller just summed up their life together in the final pages, giving the details and just telling us about that love rather than showing how beautiful it was as Miller did with Odysseus. I felt Cersei's life hadn't been an easy one. I think she suffered greatly from the abuse of her family and being exiled and alone for so long. And this just really felt like a reckoning for her. And I didn't feel like Miller gave it the justice that it it was due. And while some readers felt that the ending was not a feminist ending, showing that, hey, women can live a full life without a man, I feel that finding love isn't anti-feminist and that her story with Telemachus is just as important as the rest of it. So I was disappointed that Miller glossed over this and I felt a little cheated. So overall, I gave it a three out of five. I did enjoy it and I can absolutely see why some people love it. But for me, it just missed the mark enough to not be in my top tier of reads. Goodreads gave it a 4.26. One reviewer said, quote, I absolutely loved this. If you enjoy Greek mythology, complex heroines, and a generous serving of adventure, bloodshed, betrayal, magic, and monsters, both literal and figurative, then hell, read this book. This book, quote, is extremely quotable, rich in description and detail, and also a page turner. Another said, Quote, where do I even begin? This was one of the most amazing, beautiful, intricate, captivating books I have had the pleasure of reading in my entire life. This book has impacted me so profoundly that I genuinely not know if I will ever be the same. Someone else said, such a great book. You do not need to be a fan of mythology to read this book. Another quote, the story wasn't captivating me. My mind kept wandering and I found myself constantly checking to see how much of the book was left. I didn't even find the characters interesting. And I like to share varied reviews to kind of get a good balance because I share a lot of my thoughts and, you know, my thoughts aren't the be all and end all, but I did have a hard time finding more negative reviews that had any substance. The one that I did find was very lengthy and kind of hard for me to narrow down to anything like quotable that that made sense to just share as a part of. It was really more something you'd have to read the whole whole review to to really get the gist of. But I found that most people enjoyed this one and were very passionate about it. It just didn't inspire that passionate love for me. Media recommendations this week. 
The Hollow on Netflix. While we were homesick, the boy and I watched a lot of TV, and this was one that we had been watching and finished up. And I love the premise of this one. I don't want to give anything away because discovering the premise is part of the fun, but it's a cartoon and it's actually a Canadian cartoon, which I didn't realize right away. There are only two seasons and I would say season one is the best, but I definitely recommend it. I'm a big fan of educating my son about equality and exposing him to diversity. So even though this was one he turned me on to, I liked seeing the diversity and the inclusion in this show too. Another recommendation, the Generation Y podcast. So I know that I'm totally behind on this one because this podcast has been around since 2012. So for 10 years, and I'm honestly still just on the earlier episodes. And I originally avoided this one because I try to stay away from true crime that I feel like has been overdone. And a lot of well-known cases that have been talked about and researched enough, there isn't much that is new and there aren't really any new and different perspectives. And this is something that the Generation Y podcast does is cover some of those really well-known cases. So sometimes I'll skip over the episodes that I don't want to listen to, but I will say that the hosts, Aaron and Justin, are very thoughtful you do their research, they admit when they've changed their opinions based on their research, and they seem like really down-to-earth guys. And I hope it stays that way in the later episodes because they've gained an even larger following. I genuinely like to listen to their opinion on the various cases, even though that's not usually what I like about true crime podcasts. So I recommend checking them out, even if I can't vouch for their continued awesomeness. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. You can email me at don't read drunk at gmail.com and check out my website. Don't read drunk No apostrophe in the don'ts on any of those. Once again, this is a hobby podcast. So you can support through a one-time donation on PayPal using my email. Don't read drunk at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. That is in the show notes as well. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up. That's the number one, U-P-T-I-L-S-U-N-U-P on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Next episode, we'll be talking about Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Bye, and talk to you soon.